0: Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 44 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes representing a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today's guest is Willie Banks. Willie is a former world record holder. He's an Olympian. He's president and CEO of the ANOC World Beach Games and president of the U.S. Olympians. Much of Willie's fame comes from his innovative approach to sports and his exuberant personality that he brought to track and field competitions. He is the originator of the now common hand clapping that takes place during many track and field events, which he talks about in true Willie style during our conversation. In 1999, Willie was inducted into the USA National Track and Field Hall of Fame, and he still continues to compete to this day. I had the pleasure of chatting with Willie at the Spartan Podfest in Lake Tahoe last September, and I'm excited to bring our conversation to you today. Here is Willie Banks. I'm here at Spartan Podfest at Spartan World Championships 2018. And I'm here with Willie Banks. Willie, welcome to the Season Athlete Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. So Willie, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, some of the things you do currently. Um some of the you're you're in charge of several organizations. So yeah, tell well, me all about that. I'm
1: currently the CEO and president of the Anoch World Beach Games 2019. We're hosting uh, the very first uh, World Beach Games in San Diego, California.
0: Great place for beach games.
1: Yeah, October 9th through the 14th, 2019. I'm also the I sit on the World Olympians Association Executive Board. I sit on the executive board of the US Olympians. I am the president and CEO of a company called HSJ Incorporated, Hopskip Jump Incorporated.
0: Well, that makes and sense.
1: Exactly. And what do y'all do? We sell, art- I distribute artificial turf to Japan and Taiwan.
0: And is this for <laughs> primarily for track and field type it's of primarily
1: events? primarily for sporting events, yeah, yeah you know, uh, anything from rugby to uh, football to, you know, you name it. If you're playing on grass, you're playing on our stuff in, so in Japan the, and
0: Taiwan. Yeah. Yes.
1: The field, but field turf is the, is the, uh, supplier mm-hmm. and they have fields all over the world. They're the biggest distributor of artificial turf in the world.
0: You know, it's something that people don't think much about who makes the turf.
1: That's right. <laughs> yeah.
0: But someone's got to make the turf. That's correct. Yeah. And then tell me a little bit about your, um, athletic background.
1: So I am the former world record holder in the triple jump. I'm a three time Olympian at 80, 84 and 88. I I have competed in a lot of different championships including masters championships and senior games. Uh, I love to do track. I've been doing it since I was uh, in junior high school and it has been my world forever.
0: That's, that's a great world to live in. Yeah. So let's, uh. well, before we get into how everything got started, because we like to do that, can you tell me your age at this moment in time?
1: I'm 62 years old.
0: Fantastic. And you are currently competing?
1: I do compete. Yes.
0: Awesome. So you are a seasoned athlete. I try to based be. Based on our <laughs> definition. of Okay. So um, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, what was your early athletic life like? Did well, you play sports growing up, I presume? Like yeah, when you I were was, young?
1: I was, what? In these days probably they would have said I had ADHD or something like but that. But at the
0: time they didn't know what, they that, didn't know what was. that was. Yeah. They
1: just said I was hyperactive. Mm-hmm. So the psychiatrist psychologist told my parents to put me in as many events, you know, sports and let's and get activities. him tired. Yeah. Get him tired, get him <laughs> tired. So they they had me doing tennis and golf and horseback riding and and uh, go- uh what else? We did uh, climbing and just I was in boy scouts and we hiked all over the Sierra Nevada so I was very busy. And then one day uh when I was in 6th grade one of the kids said, "Hey, well let's go to this boys club uh, track meet." And I said, "What's that?" And he said, "Just come on, let's go." So we went and he sh- showed all these events and I did the 50 and the high jump and and I won like uh second place in the high jump and third in the and the 50 and I was like this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I am so good at this. I am an expert. <laughs> I should get paid. No, so I, so I thought this was fun. And then in junior high, because junior high in those days, you, you had to do all these sports in PE. And the coaches for track, they invited one of the high school athletes down to the junior high to talk to us about track and field. And we sat in front of a high jump pit, and this this high schooler talked about his experience as a high jumper. And I listened intently. And when he talked, he he put the bar up as high as he had jumped. And I was, it was like, it seemed like it was two times as tall as I was. You know, I was five foot three Mm -hmm. and he put it up to, I guess about seven feet. And he said, I've jumped this. And I could not believe that a human could jump that high. So uh, I convinced my parents to let me go to a track meet at the high school so I could see him jump. And when I went there, I went by myself, my parents dropped me off, and I waited by the high jump to watch this guy jump. And they started at like five, six. People jumped five, eight, five, ten, six foot. He never jumped. and I was like, "What is going on? Is he sick? What's wrong? Where is he? I don't get this." So they went to six, two, and everybody was out. And I was like, I came all the way up here. I convinced my parents to come just for this guy, and he doesn't show. So the judge walks over to this guy who's sitting off to the side with the hood on. (laughs) It's the guy. I'm like, there he is. Why didn't he jump? Is he sick? The judge says something to him. He gets up. He kind of shakes his legs. He walks over in his sweats, and he jumps over 6'2". I'm like holy, I want to be like that. Yeah, that guy's got swagger. Oh, my God. So he, they, they say, well, where do you want it now? So he puts it up to 6'8", and just waltzes up and jumps. And I'm like, I love this. I want to be just like him. Turns out his name is Jerry Culp, and he was one of the first high schoolers ever to jump seven feet. And he was my absolute hero. So um, after that, uh, in high school, I did long jump, the hurdles, and uh, sprints. I wasn't a very good sprinter, but I was a good jumper. My junior year, they introduced what is called the triple jump, and I went out in my dad's uh, basketball shoes because someone had stolen mine, and I ran down, took a hop, skip, and a jump, and I, I was one of the top uh, uh, athletes that day you know when they showed us how to do it so i i think luck is a part of life is a huge part of life and you just have to be prepared for it well i've been lucky so many times in track and field the very first time i can remember when i was super lucky was my history teacher happened to be the 1940 41 to 42 nc2a champion in the triple jump. How about that? And I was like, stop it. There's no <laughs> way, old man, because he was, what, 50-something. Mm-hmm. There's no way, old man, that you, you, come on. He goes, yeah, I didn't go to Olympic Games because we didn't have Olympics then because of the war. Hmm. And I couldn't believe him. So I said, I'll come out and I'll watch you. And I said, okay, cool. And And he came out and I did the triple jump. He goes, no, 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 son, that's not the way you do it. And I go, wait a minute, hold up. I'm the best guy out here. (laughs) You can't tell me how to do this. He goes, no, 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 try this. And he showed me how to make each phase of my jump equal. And after that, I was jumping so far that they had to dig out every pit in the league that I was jumping because I was jumping beyond the pit. They had to make and it And had longer. I gotten injured, that's correct. Yeah. Had I gotten injured, of course, you know, Did there would they have they been get a in problem. trouble. Yeah. So they had to lengthen the size of the pit because of the way I they was jumping. You were changing
0: the game. Wow. And you know, I I think that you were about to just dismiss this guy. Like, who's who do you think he is? But you know. The point of this podcast, listen to the old folks.
1: That's right. And <laughs> I've, I learned my lesson mm-hmm. and, and because of that, uh, gentleman, um, uh, by the way, his son was actually my basketball coach, but because of him, um, I learned that no matter who it is, listen to them once at least and find out whether they have something that you can use and don't dismiss people just because of the way they look or how they, how old they are or or the way they say it, you have to be the one to interpret what they say and then utilize that.
0: Yeah. It it reminds me of a story where uh, I lived in LA down by the beach and there's these rings that you can go across, fly across if you've ever been down there by the pier. And I go down there, I practice on that and I teach people how to do that and we all work really hard and it's super hard and sometimes we have good days and sometimes not so much. And then, but a a couple of times there's been this, this old dude that shows up and he's in his sweatpants, yep. you know, he looks like the trainer from Rocky, just yep. nonchalant and just goes across like it's nothing. Right. And we're just like, what, how? And he's like, I've just been doing it for 50 years. Exactly. And you know, something to be said for that.
1: Isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's my fear. I, I actually stopped triple jumping for about two, four years after I retired and I, I, thought that, I think that was a mistake because I, if I would have just kept going, I would have been fine. But mm-hmm. it, uh, fortunately, I got back into it and started doing a master's competitions and just loved it.
0: Yeah. And that's what's great is that these comp- these master's competitions exist.
1: Exactly. That you can
0: get out there and still still do this thing that
1: you love. Well, I actually started out as a raker. I just started raking the pit, you know, <laughs> going to competitions and raking the pit and, you know, helping out the kids or whatever, you know. And then one day, this old guy comes running down. He runs down. He takes a hop, a skip, and a jump. And he is so excited. And I'm like, what? Why are you so excited, old man? He says, I just broke the world record for my age. I said, well, how old are you? He said, 45. (laughs) I said, wait a minute. Hold up forty-five. <laughs> I'm forty-five.
0: So this should be my record. this should be my record.
1: So I decided that I would beat his record. But I had to go to work in Japan. So I went to Japan. I ate nothing but tofu, so I could lose a few pounds. I came back and I entered in a competition. And I broke the world record. I felt bad for him, but uh, I he broke his, his world moment. record. He had his moment. Yeah, he did. He, he
0: had a little time, and then idea. you're like, "But that's mine."
1: That's that should be me.
0: That should be me. And that's anytime you hear somebody, it's like, "I got the record." You're like, "Well,
1: yeah,
0: it's gonna be mine now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm coming to collect. So I want to talk about your um, Olympic experience because I read a story about how you kind of changed the game and how uh, the crowd connects with athletes. Uh, particularly in your event. Can you tell me? Uh, I don't want to give away too much. I want you to tell me okay. what happened.
1: Yeah, well, part of my story is that uh, as a triple jumper, when I, was, when I was probably on the top of my game, the triple jump was not necessarily one of the more famous events. Most of the best athletes were in Eastern Europe, and the, the four, three-time Olympic champion was a guy named Viktor Seneyev, my hero, and he lived in uh, the Soviet, that time it was the Soviet Union, you know, Russia, mm-hmm. and he won three gold medals and no one could beat him, right? So, uh, no one, but because he lived in the Soviet Union, he couldn't travel and compete in all the competitions that we tra- we competed in. So it kind of stunted the triple jump's va- validity because the best wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I just kept competing and I would go over to Europe. And when you go to Europe, you get paid a little, you know, some monies to, to keep things going. And it was, a good, it was a good life. But when in 1981, I broke the national record for the United States and I was the top athlete in the world. And I thought, ah, oh, time for me to get paid like the sprinters and the distance runners. And I go over to the competition, uh, to my first competition, and I had a manager named Pete Peterson. And I competed in uh, Stockholm. And Pete came out of this room with all the meet organizers. And he said, well, Willie, we've, we're have we here in Stockholm. And I got you another meet. But after that, that's it. They don't have the triple jump in Europe this year. And I was like, what are you talking about? They don't have the triple jump. I just broke the American record. They should be having triple jumps everywhere. <laughs> he said, sorry. I couldn't convince them. So, well, I said to him, well, maybe I can. I just walked in the room. Now, usually athletes can't go in this room. But I walked in. I walked up to the biggest meat promoter, and I said, I understand you're not having the triple jump. I don't get that. And he looked at me very sternly, and he said, listen here, young man. You don't put butts, butts in the seat. No one is coming to watch you. And if no one's coming to watch you, they're not paying me and if i'm not getting paid i'm not paying you now get the hell out of this <laughs> on so i walked out and i i vowed that i would show them that the triple jump it should be one of the main events i went to the competition very early and i had um, Back in the old days, we had what's called the Walkman, you know, with a tape. Oh, I know
0: what a Walkman okay, is. Okay, well, you look so I'm young. Oh, I don't know. Please.
1: You know, some I grew of these up young in the 80s. I okay. know what a Walkman I, I is. Yep. Walkman it was my favorite thing. And <laughs> yep. I had these big headphones, and I would wear them uh, at the competitions, and I put them on, and I just got into this music, and, and I said, okay, I'm going to jump really well. When they called everybody together... All the guys, you know, and they were like, OK, you know, they gave us the instruction. I said, before you guys go anywhere, I want to tell you today we've got to do something big. They're not having a triple jump. We've got to do something big to show them how important the triple jump is. And they looked at me like I was crazy and they walked away. And the first eight guys fouled. It was horrible. I was so bored. <laughs> so I put my headphones on, I was stretching and dancing. And when it was my turn, I stood up at the top of the runway and got ready. And usually I clapped three times and I shake my fist three times to get focused, and then I go. So I clapped three times, and then someone—some about five guys, they had had a little bit too much to drink, and they were sitting very close to where I was standing on the runway, and they clapped three times mimicking me. And I looked over and I thought, what a bunch of jerks, right? But I thought, okay, let me get back into my my focus. I clapped three times, shake my fist, and they clapped three times kind of threw me off a little bit that's not supposed to happen not really so I looked down the runway clapped three times shake my fist I didn't care what they were going to do I ran and I jumped about 54 feet I don't know it wasn't that far but it's far enough to lead the competition at the time everybody else foul 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 boring my turn again I stood up and these five guys just started clapping and the people around them started clapping rhythmically Mm -hmm. And so I'm shaking my fist I go down I jump 55-1 which was the Swiss record no, I mean, I'm sorry the Swedish record at the time 55-1 and I came back and those guys were so excited yay <laughs> you know, I said, they're okay, your biggest cool. fans yeah, now yeah they were my biggest fans and then I the next time I came up my third attempt out of six I ran down and I jumped past the Swiss uh, Swedish record and I came back and the, everybody started to pay a little bit more of attention on my fourth jump uh, half the audience started clapping when I stood up <laughs> and I was like oh this is awesome and I ran down and I jumped and I jumped almost, you know, a little bit further than 56 feet and then I went over to the meet organizer and I said listen I need three flags I need one at the Swedish record I need one at the European record and one at the world record he says why do you need that? I said, I just told you, <laughs> I'm going to go for a record. <laughs> and so he said, oh, okay. So he put the flags out. And then my fifth jump, I stood at the top of the runway, and everyone was clapping, just rhythmically. bump, 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 bump. And I shook my fist to this clapping, and I ran as hard as I could. And I took a hop, a skip, and a jump, and I landed right there where the world record flag was. I jumped up with my hands up, and I was like, I did it, right? Now... If you were on Mars and you looked at the plasticine, the little clay in front, you could see that I had fouled. It was huge (laughs) foul. I knew I had fouled. But it just felt so good to jump a world record, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was, like, so excited. And the crowd was going crazy. And this little Swedish guy, slowly shaking, his hand was shaking, his body was shaking. He raised the red flag for a foul, so it doesn't count. And in Europe, they jeer. They whistle instead Mm -hmm. of saying, no, they whistle. And Mm -hmm. so this loud whistling came in. No, and and I like, no, I didn't foul. I didn't foul. Knowing in my head, of course. I got down on my hands and knees. I'm looking down. You could see it, like I said, from Mars. It was remarkable. And I just, you know, I I looked up at him and I smiled. I said, okay, you got me. And I waved to the crowd. I said, it's okay, next one. And I thought, okay, that was kind of fun. (laughs) I put my sweats on my headphones and I thought, I'm going to take a lap. Because most of the times in Europe, the distance runners would finish and then they would take a lap and everybody would clap for them, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, they don't do that for the triple jump. (laughs) So what I thought is I'll just put my sweats on and I'll just slowly start running. And as I started jogging around the track, every section I came to, they would clap and they would stand up and they would sit down. That was the first wave in in track and field. So it went around the stadium, all the way around. When I came back, it was my turn. And I took off my sweats. Everything was quiet. And the minute I stood at the top of the runway, there was this... (laughs) (laughs) Slow clap. (laughs) And I was shaking my fist to the clapping, shaking my fist to the clapping, shaking my fist to the clapping. And when it was time to go, I just let out. And I sprinted as hard as I could. I took a hop, a skip a jump. I land right near the world record and I jumped up and this time I knew I didn't foul and I raised my hands. People were going crazy. People came out of the stands. They grabbed me. They put me on their shoulders. They're walking me around the field. They made the mistake of giving me a microphone just like (laughs) you did. And I just started talking. I don't even know what I said. It was so exciting. Now, I didn't break the world record that time, but I did break the European all comers record and it was the day of my life. And after it all settled down, I walked over to where the meet organizers were sitting in the stands. And I looked at them kind of with a little bit of a wink and I said, so, now what do you think about the triple jump? (laughs) And I had meets all over the place. And, and you know, there was this one great radio announcer that used to say, and now the rest of the story. And so I'm going to tell you what happened, what really I think made it for me. I had another meet, and that meet was down in Switzerland, and it was uh, Lausanne, Switzerland, and it was a long jump. Now, I'm no long jumper, but uh, I went down the jump anyway, and as I was jumping, I wasn't jumping that well, but on my fourth jump, someone in the stand said, well, come on, Willie, and I turned and put my hands out and, and to the side, and like, what do you want? You know, like, what? And all of a sudden, everybody started clapping rhythmically. Boom, boom. Boom. And I was like, oh my God. And I just ran without thinking. And I jumped in this long jump. I jumped 26 feet, 8 inches, almost 27 feet, 8 meters 11, Swiss record. And I won the competition. I wasn't even that good. <laughs> that wasn't even your event. No. And yeah. so I realized at that time that I had something. Everywhere I went in the, for the rest of my life in the world, I had the home team rooting for me no matter where I went. And it was an awesome feeling.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like you gave, you gave the crowd something to be excited about and something, a way to connect.
1: I think what, what I did and what I encourage other people to do is I gave them a little bit of me. I let them see inside me. There was a famous high jumper named Dwight Stones, and he was huge. And I used to love to go to track meets and watch Dwight Stones because he would make everybody be quiet. He wouldn't jump until everyone was quiet, like a pin could drop and he would jump. And I thought that's that's unbelievable. But that was not me. That was Dwight. He needed mm-hmm. quiet. Me, you won't allow it. I like <laughs> I like <laughs> excitement. That's yeah. why I can't go to a tennis match. You know, I'm like, right. yeah, and they're yeah. like, Shh. yeah, golf, right. golf must be right for no, you. Can't yeah. do that. But, you know, I love the excitement and I and, and, and it, it just made me enjoy track and feel so much more.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think people are always looking to connect with the people that they're rooting for, connect with these athletes, people they see on TV, people they see in the Olympics. They want to know about their personality. They want to feel their personality. And it makes them yes. want to
1: root for them. Absolutely. Uh,
0: so you gave that. You gave that to people.
1: Well, I like to hope so. I, I, I didn't intend to do it that way. But I realized, like that me promoter Andy Norman said, you know, hey, kid, nobody comes to see you. But if you allow them to come see you, they will come see you. Yeah, and I allowed them to come see me. Yeah. And that's all I. did. I mean,
0: it started with the what, the three drunk guys, three yeah. drunk guys in a crowd. Like right. they, did, I don't know why they came that day. Who knows? You know who knows why they who came knows? that day? But by the end of the day, for me. by the end of the day, they had come to see you. And so, yeah, that's really cool how you you've transformed that and kind of created a. Uh, culture yeah. within sport within track and field and right. the first wave right. at a track and field event that's something to, to yeah. be proud of
1: and now some people say some people accuse me of, of giving track and field a clap but <laughs> I don't you know, it's I don't even know how to respond to that.
0: <laughs> uh, you you <laughs> left me speechless, which is rare. But but hey, you know, there's the, the, there's treatments for that. But why? Yeah. <laughs> why?
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so tell me, um, how long did you compete professionally?
1: Uh, let's see, I competed professionally from uh, seventy-eight to. 92.
0: 92. Yeah. And, and then now you, you still continue to compete. Uh, what are you, what kind, are you still doing the triple jump?
1: I'm still doing a little bit of the triple jump. Triple jump is painful for me right now, but I do a lot of high jumping. I yeah. love the high jump cuz you can land on that soft mat and not the hard surfaces. Yeah. So
0: it's kind of full circle back to back, back to, to high, high school
1: junior high. Junior high. Yeah. yeah. So and full circle it. with the high jump. I love it. Yeah. And then
0: um, where do you where do you currently compete?
1: I compete in uh, San Diego mostly mm. at local events, or I compete in the senior games or master's games. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Um, You're wearing a shirt, Olympians for Olympians Release Fund. Yes. Tell me about that.
1: So Olympians are a unique group of people who have all shared a common experience at the Olympic Games. And we got together, and just like any normal human or community, there are some of us who fall on hard times. And when our brethren and sisters fall on hard times we want to try and help them as much as we can now sometimes money can't cure everything but what money from us does is it gives them some people who believe in them and who who really want them to be to either be better or or help them to uh get over a financial crisis and so everyone chips in and we try to give so the last people that we help where the people in Texas, when the hurricane came through and destroyed everyone's home, several Olympians lost their homes and we gave money to help them uh, get back on their feet. That's wonderful. And other athletes, uh, sick athletes, people who had to have surgery or people who have needed drugs that they couldn't afford, we chip in to make sure that they can get what they need.
0: It's nice. You support the Olympic family. Yes. You know, everybody, once you're an Olympian, you're an Olympian for life. Once an
1: Olympian, always Olympian, never former and never past.
0: I made that mistake one time. Yeah. (laughs) Never again. We
1: jump on it because it's it's important that everyone understands that Mm -hmm. we are Olympians. Yes. Not former. Yes. Former
0: athlete. Former, yeah, might be retired.
1: Not retired athlete. But... I mean, a you retired could be a retired athlete, retired but you are athlete, always, an but always an Olympian. Once
0: yes. you earn that status, you exactly. get to keep that forever. Exactly. Yeah. So it's nice that you're taking care of taking care of your own. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. So, as someone who currently competes, currently doing the high jump, um a little bit older, mm-hmm. what kind of um considerations do you have to take for your own body or what kind of I don't, conversely what kind of benefits do you feel you experience as an older athlete? So there's kind of two angles you can take there to keep yourself competing at your age.
1: Well, there's a lot that 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 I do to help keep my body fit. One thing I, I do is I believe more now in rest than I did when I was younger.
0: I hear that a lot from yeah. people I interview.
1: Rest is training for me. So mm-hmm. if I want to train, I need the rest. Yeah. So the other thing that I do is I watch nutrition, my, what I put inside my body. I also uh, make sure that when I train, I train properly. I don't have to train like I used to train. I train more efficiently. So it's and like
0: smarter, not harder smarter philosophy. Smarter, not harder yeah. is
1: the best philosophy. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I will do is instead of just doing my event, I'll do something different. And I found even when I was a professional athlete, I got better by not doing the triple jump. Hmm. It was weird. Yeah. So I believe what that does is it gives your mind a chance to rest and all the mistakes go out. Hmm. And you keep only those things that are necessary.
0: It, yeah, it prevents you from overthinking everything, right?
1: And I, I believe that if you, if you focus too much on one thing, then the rest of you, your body and your brain, tends to lose its sharpness. Mm-hmm. So right now I do a lot of dance. I love Zumba. I love jazzercise. I do a lot of... Uh, uh, stretching and just to, just to stay in shape. And then I'll go out and train every once in a while.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, and you're still able to compete.
1: Absolutely.
0: Very cool. Um, and I like that, you know, I think with age, you you realize that rest becomes more important, that smarter, not harder is the, the way to go. And when you're younger, you just want to go, 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 exactly. push, push, push. Yep. And uh, so that wisdom does come with age. And I do hear that from a lot of people that I, I interview. So obviously it's valid. And I believe
1: it is. Yeah. I believe. But more so, your body begins to, to break down and it takes your brain to go ahead and keep things rolling. Yes. And, and, and when I say that, the brain can, can heal, the brain can um, shut down pain, the brain can do a lot of things. And so I focus on that and I, I, I create games uh, for, for helping my brain to learn to do different things. And I think that has been a very, very valuable tool for me as I get older and older. Even when I was a professional and I was getting older. I mean, I was one of the longest or one of the oldest triple jumpers uh, that, that, that competed. And I believe it was because m- the way I thought about triple jump, it wasn't a sport. It was, it was, a, it was kids play. You were just so having fun. I was out having fun. Yeah. And yeah, maybe I didn't want to go medal. But I certainly was sitting out there competing with the person who did mm-hmm. and I was having a blast doing it and they were struggling. I didn't care. I was having a good time. Right. So the, the key for me was to enjoy. If I'm not enjoying it, then I won't do it. Right. 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 And that kids play transfers over to everything that I do, even in, you know, in my business. I, I do a lot of kids play to just keep my my uh, intensity and keep my focus by getting away from it.
0: Yeah. And it, and if you keep your mind in a positive space, then everything gets easier. Everything gets better. Exactly. Um, the suffering goes down, even if you're doing something that might cause suffering. You know, yeah, that it's huge. Mindset is huge. It is. And I like that you treat you, kids play like yes. your words. I I really love that. And I, you know, with the people out here at Spartan World Championships. You know, it, it's. A lot of people look at it as suffering, but it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're flying on monkey bars and you're, exactly. you're crawling over walls and you're, you know, you're, cl- it's kids play.
1: It is. You're it's it like what kids we play. did when we were kids. And we didn't even think about <sighs> no, it. No, it wasn't a struggle. I mean, I used to do these lemon drops and cherry drops and all these things on the monkey bars. I never mm-hmm. thought about killing myself. Right. And it, it was, that's what I've reverted to. I've gone back to that because then you're so clean and you're so clear in your function that you can do more. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned as I've grown older. Go back to kids play and treat it like that. Don't be afraid, just enjoy.
0: Yeah, and you're never too old to treat yeah. things like kids play. No. Never too old.
1: No. All right, well. Let me just tell you. Yes. I coached a 92-year-old and it was amazing. And I was so enlightened by the how tough this guy was. Now, it scared me to death every time he didn't call me about coming to practice, right? Because like, I didn't know. Anything. No, I don't know what. <laughs> but it was awesome, and I learned. I learned that the right mindset, no matter what age you are, no matter how hard, no, no how, no matter how difficult it is to get out of bed or something like that, mm-hmm. your mind can make it all right.
0: It's and true. He
1: had the. Best attitude of anybody I've ever seen. So I learned from him.
0: Yeah. And that's how you can keep going into your 90s. Exactly. Like the mind is going to be the thing that's going to keep you going. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Um, so uh, before we go, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I, you, know, you just gave some really great advice, but uh, do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you would want to share with our seasoned athlete listeners?
1: Go out and try and try something unique. Yeah. Try something that's going to be a challenge, not f- not just physically, but um, for your mind. Like, if you never danced, dance, dance. Uh, yeah, if like you you're saying, you run, go to Zumba now. Run. Yeah. If you can't jump, jump. Just try. Yeah. Just go out because you never know. You'll surprise yourself.
0: I love that. Do something different. Yeah. Do something unique. maybe outside of your comfort zone, but unique. Yeah. yeah. I just... What did I do last week? I did a bungee fitness last week. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, and, and it was so fun. Yeah. And you, you could do you could fly. Yeah, you know you're Isn't flying because cool? you're on this bungee. You could do uh, no impact burpees. Like, Isn't that uh, awesome? It was so fun. And and I love I love getting out there and trying different fitness things or trying different sports or just anything different because it's it lights you up inside. You it know, does. it just lights it you does. up and it, it ignites that childlike spirit that you were talking about. It does. And so I 150 percent agree with you Great. on that. So. Awesome. Um, well, this
1: was so much fun yeah. and I really appreciate you having me on. And I
0: absolutely had a blast. I, I just love, I love, I, A, I love your stories. Thank you. B, I love how you tell your stories. <laughs> um, just really super entertaining and engaging. So um, if people want to learn more about you, how can they do that?
1: Well, of course you can go on my uh, LinkedIn. You can learn about me, but more, I think uh, if you go to um, my webpage, I have a couple, but hsj-j.jp, which is a Japanese, yeah, that's a Japanese page. Or you can go on, of course, my Facebook page, you know, Willie Banks.
0: Willie Banks on Facebook.
1: On Facebook. And Instagram, same thing, Willie Banks.
0: Yeah. So follow Willie. He is, you're so fun. I'm not going to say he, you're right here in front of me. And now I know when we first met, when we first met like a you know, half hour ago before we started talking, first thing Willie did to me is hold his hand up really, yeah. really high and expected me to jump for a high five. Exactly. And I didn't even think about that. It's like, you want exactly. me to do a high jump. I do. And I'm sitting here at five foot one with a pile of stuff in my hand, but I feel like I need another, I need a do over uh, when we're done with that high jump. Cause I need to go for that.
1: That's it. Dream high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I wasn't
0: satisfied with that first attempt. We need some clapping. We need to get everybody in the room, get the clapping going. Yeah. There's other people back there doing (laughs) it. (laughs) We had to end with the clap. So thank thank you, you. Willie, for being on the Season Athlete Podcast. This was awesome.
1: Thank you.
0: All right, seasoned athletes, here are my top three takeaways from Willie Banks. Number one rest is training. For older athletes, rest and recovery are as important, if not more important, than the training itself. Take care of your body and get that rest time in. Number two, if you're training for a sport, practice doing things other than the sport you're working on. If you focus too much on one thing, the body and brain loses its sharpness. So diversify your training to keep both your body and brain operating at their best. And number three, keep a level of kids play in your life no matter how old you are. Even when training hard for a sport, be sure to remind yourself why you love doing it, that it's fun. It can be easy to lose that sense of fun when you're working hard and training and sometimes even suffering when you're competing. But chances are you got into whatever you're doing because it was fun. Keep your mind right and maintain longevity by continually reminding yourself of the fun. Thanks again to Willie Banks. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard in this episode is from outer space enthusiast and multi-instrumentalist extraordinaire Jason Achilles. Learn more about him at jasonachilles.com. Do you know someone who would make a great guest on the show? Or do you have a unique and inspirational story to share? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com. Check out our entire library of episodes and get to know our distinguished seasoned athlete alumni at seasonedathlete.me. And if you live in the Los Angeles area and are feeling super inspired to train like a seasoned athlete, visit rutsm.com and learn about how to train with me to help bring out the seasoned athlete in you. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you so can.